Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And in this series on faith that we're doing now, we're talking about now the principles of living by faith. You see, having received from God, having received salvation, forgiveness, blessing from God by faith, we now have to live by faith. The Bible says that the just by faith shall live by faith. And that's what we're talking about. In other words, our words and our actions need to correspond to what we believe. We need to put our faith into action because actually we're only blessed in our doing. The power of God is only released when we put that into action. There need to be corresponding actions to our faith. And when we show our faith by our actions, then we, we please God. How do we live by faith? What does it mean in practice? What does the life of faith look like? Well, to inspire us in this life of faith uh, and, and to, to cause us to bring it into every area of life, Paul writes this great faith chapter of Hebrews 11. And it gives us many illustrations from the lives of the Old Testament heroes of faith. And, and they all reveal their faith through their actions. And so in Hebrews 11, it's by faith Abel did this, by faith Noah did this, by faith Abraham did this. And so through their faith, they lived by faith and they gained a good report from God. These pioneers of faith teach us the pr fundamental principles of the life of faith that we need to live to give God pleasure. And so we're talking about living by faith. This great hall of fame in Hebrews 11 of the pioneers of faith. They're the one who, who blazed the trail. And now we follow in their footsteps of faith. And this is like a portrait gallery. And each picture in this gallery gives us a glimpse into uh, our li the life of faith. And each one is chosen to reveal a particular aspect of the life of faith. Uh, and there is significance in the order of these patriarchs. You see, Although these heroes are listed in historical order, the principles of faith that they exemplify, that they embody, are also in that same, in the necessary order of our experience in our own life of faith, in our personal life of faith. The same order of the patriarchs is the same order of the lessons we need to learn from them. It's amazing. And you see, there's a development in our life of faith as we put each principle into practice, as we put more and more of God's word into action. God used each hero of faith in turn to emphasize and embody a key aspect of that life of faith. And for instance, God revealed to Adam and Abraham, sorry, Adam and Abel, the foundation. And, and that was actually the, the blood sacrifice of the Messiah. And this in turn was known by Enoch. This first key was the key into God's presence. To be made right with God and to walk with God. And so this was taken by Enoch and he practiced this. He took it to the new level. He walked with God every day. You see, by faith. And then what Enoch knew and what he lived out was passed on to Noah. And Noah lived this out. He walked with God every day as well. But now, Noah could now go to the next level. You see, we're all running our race. It's like we all run a lap and then we pass the baton on to the next generation. 
And we should be ahead of the generation that came before us because we can learn what they learned and then take it a step further. And, and if we have children with the next generation, we should be able to pass on our faith and they should be able to take it to another level again. And that's how it is. And so Enoch passed that on to Noah. And, and God gave Noah further revelation. And through that, Noah went on to the next level in the life of faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the, the faith of Noah. And then Abraham then took things a step further from Noah and so on. And so God's progressive revelation in history, one revelation builds on another. And the progressive development of our personal life of faith, again, actually mirrors the progression of faith development in, in these patriarchs. Well, for Abel, you see, first of all, we've seen him. He knew how to get right with God and to worship God in, in truth. And he did that by God's revelation to Adam. Enoch took this further. And he wasn't just right with God, but he walked with God in daily fellowship. And then Noah, he walked with God, but he also worked, did a work for God and witnessed to God. And there's an order here, you see. Before we can walk with God consistently, we must be made right with God. That has to be the first revelation through trusting in the blood of Christ. You see, we have to come into agreement with God concerning sin and salvation. We have to agree with God we're a sinner. We, and we have to accept his reconciliation, his sacrifice for us. And through the great exchange, have our sins put on Christ and Christ's righteousness given to us. That's the first step. You see, Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? First of all, there has to be that agreement. We have to be made right with God. Then we can walk together with God. And that's what Enoch did. But now that we're walking with God, we have to walk with God before we can take the next step. Before the next step is to work for God. Do a work for God. Witness for God. That's the next step. Yes, it's great to walk with God. But as we walk with God, we find that God starts telling us something he wants us to do for him. A witness he wants to make for him. We have a job to do in the earth. And that's the next step of faith that we see with Noah. But how can we witness for God? How can we work for God unless we're walking with him first, unless we're in fellowship with him? Otherwise, our works are just dead works. Otherwise, our witness is just a hollow witness. And so before we can work for God, we must first learn the lesson of Enoch, to walk with him. Then we can work for him. I want to show you this, this, this sequence again from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, that was Jesus, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. I want you to see the priority of heaven. He had six wings, but four of them were for worship. Only two of them were for service. And so before we can serve God, we've got to learn to worship him to be in his presence, to fellowship with him. And one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And you might think Isaiah was happy to be in the presence of God, but he wasn't ready yet. He said, Woe is me, for I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He knows there's a sin problem. He's not right with God. He's not ready to come into the presence of God. Woe is me, he says. And here we see the first revelation that has to happen in our life. Our sin has to be dealt with through the blood of Christ. And this is what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This wasn't just any coal. This was a coal with the blood on. This was a coal from the altar. And the sacrificial blood was on that coal. And then that coal was applied to his mouth. The blood was applied to his sin. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And I want you to notice that Isaiah, first of all, had to receive the blood of Jesus for himself before he could even be in God's presence. Before he could dwell in God's presence and worship with the angels and fellowship and hear God's instructions for his ministry, what he should do and say, he had to have his sins cleansed through the blood. Then we'll see what happens next. When he is right with God and he could enter into the presence of God and he dwelt in the presence of God, then he started to hear God's voice. And that led to his whole ministry, amazing ministry, his witness and his work for God. That comes out of you dwelling in the presence of God. And as he's now dwelling in the presence of God and he gets up really close to God, he can hear the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit talking with each other. He's actually into the fellowship of the Trinity. He's in that place of fellowship. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is the Trinity discussing among themselves. And Isaiah is able to hear. And he says, Here I am. Send me. Let me do this work. Let me give this witness, you see. But that came out of, but his work for God came out of being in the presence of God, which came, comes out of receiving the blood. So we see this progression again. You've got to be right with God through the blood. You've got to learn to walk in the presence of God. And then God will give you his work to do. Well, last time we saw the faith of Enoch, he pleased God by coming close in prayer and spending time with him. And it says that Enoch was, was translated. He walked with God. Enoch knew what it was to be right with God and walk and talk with God. And he passed that inheritance of faith onto our next hero now, Noah. And now we're going to focus in on Noah, the faith of Noah, the next portrait in the Hebrews 11 gallery. Noah was a witness of faith to a lost generation. And it's Noah that shows us the third principle of the life of faith. You know, just like Enoch, Noah lived in an evil time, uh, just before God was going to send this worldwide judgment of the flood. And uh, he inherited the faith of Abel and Enoch. He walked with God every day. But 
Noah took the next step forward uh, in the life of faith. Having got right with God, having established a consistent walk with God, he now entered into the next step, which is to do a work for God, to be a witness for God. And you can only do that, as I said, if you're walking with him already. Now, the, he is an example for all believers today, especially for us who live in that generation just before the rapture and the tribulation comes upon the earth. Because the tribulation is a picture of Noah's flood. It's a worldwide judgment. But God will remove the believers before that judgment falls. Just as he removed Noah and his family in the ark to safety. Noah's life is an important example, especially for us in this time before Christ returns. Because Jesus said that the times we live in now the time just before Jesus returns are like the days of Noah. I want us to see what Jesus said about the Noah, first of all. In Matthew 24, verse 37 onwards. As the days of Noah were, so will also be the coming of the Son of Man. So it's going to be just like the days of Noah. There's a real parallel going on. First of all, he talks about the time before the flood comes. As in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And he says it's going to be like that in the days just before Jesus returns. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating, drinking, marrying and so on. But the implication is, although normal life will be carrying on, uh, people will be preoccupied in natural things. That materialism will be the dominant way of life. And that is certainly true about us today. Other things that are similar to the days of Noah is that it says violence covered the earth. It's true today, isn't it? There was a population explosion in those days, Genesis 6 tells us. The, there was great occultic activity, again. There was great moral decay. And all of these characteristics are like the days that we live in. It is like the days of Noah. And then it says the actual disappearance of Noah. The next thing that happens was, and then it says, until the day that Noah entered the ark. The key moment was that Noah entered the ark with all the believers. As it were, then the judgment fell. And this is a picture of what will happen at Christ's return. The believers will disappear into Christ. The ark is a picture of Christ. That's the rapture. That will happen at the moment before the judgment falls. And then it describes the judgment itself. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus will come, take the believers to himself, and then the world will be totally taken by surprise. The, f the tribulation flood will come down and it will be a worldwide judgment. And... The believers will disappear from view just like Noah did. And then is the flood of the tribulation. Jesus goes on to describe that. He says then two men will be in the field. One, the believer, will be taken in the rapture. And the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. When, when the Lord comes, he will take the believers to be with himself. And then he will judge the earth. 
But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would, have, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And it's very strange here that Jesus says, I'm coming, but I'm coming like a thief. Just a thief, you see, doesn't announce. He doesn't leave a note saying, I'm gonna, I'll be in your house at midnight take all your stuff. He doesn't do that, does he? He takes the world by surprise. To the world, Jesus returns as a thief in the night. It will be unannounced. And a thief comes to take something. It, he takes the valuable things from the house. And Jesus is coming to take the valuable things from the earth. That's his believers. The difference is a thief. To the world it's a thief, but he's not really a thief because he's only coming to take what belongs to him. And if you belong to Christ, he's only coming to take what belongs to him, you see. But the world will think a thief has come because suddenly a billion people will have disappeared. It's as if a thief had come. But actually it's the bride coming for his bridegroom. And so this is the description of the Lord's coming. He will take us away before the judgments come down. Just like he took Noah out of the scene of judgment before the judgment came down and covered the earth in Noah's flood. And so our situation is just like Noah's situation. He's our example, he's our inspiration of how to live in the time just before the judgment is coming down upon the whole earth. We are living in that time. We need to see what Noah did and we need to do the same thing. Believers know that Lord is returning to judge the earth just like Noah. And they are living in the, we, we need to live in the light of that. Make preparations. As in the time of Noah and the flood, when the Lord returns, he will judge the wicked. And again, the believers will be saved in the ark of salvation, Christ. You know, believing in the rapture is not escapism. You know, our critics will, will say, oh, you're just an escapist. But no, like Noah, Noah knew that the judgment was coming and God was going to save him out of that judgment. But that didn't cause him just to relax and do nothing. It, it, if we know the Lord is coming soon and he's going to take us to be with him, and then judgment's coming on the earth and the unbelievers, that should propel us into activity to preach the gospel and to build the ark to save the lost from this coming judgment. That's how we are to show our faith in this time. The unbelieving world, you see, continues as if there's no God, no judgment. But believers like Noah, we show our faith by working for God and witnessing to that lost world, warning them of the coming judgment and telling them of the only way of salvation. And Noah would preach to the people and he would actually have a great visual aid because Noah's ark, what an amazing visual aid that was in the middle of a big continent. Here's this ark and people would come from from everywhere, I'm sure, and look at Noah's Ark, it would have become famous. And he would have warned them, there's a coming judgment coming. The flood will cover the earth. Uh, but here is the way of salvation. If you will trust in and go into the Ark, and the Ark represents Jesus, if you'll go into the Ark, the Ark will protect you. And all the judgment will fall on the Ark, and it won't fall on you. Just like Christ took all the judgment on himself, and if we're in Christ, we're saved from judgment and we come into a new covenant. And that's what Noah preached to his generation. 
He preached judgment was coming, but God had provided salvation. Well, let's look at what the New Testament says about Noah and his ministry, the faith of Noah. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Noah was told, obviously, of what was going to happen. He was moved with godly fear. You see, it's one thing. He had faith. He believed what God told him about the coming judgment. And believing it is one thing. But if you really believe it, you will be moved into action. If that faith is real, it's going to move you. It's going to change your life. And it moved Noah to do two things. To preach to his generation, to witness, and to build an ark. He was moved into action. You know the truth, that judgment is coming on this world. But there is only one way of salvation, Jesus Christ. Does that move you into action, to witness, to a dying world? And so he was moved. And what did he do? He prepared an ark, an ark of salvation, an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness according to faith. We'll come back to that. 1 Peter 3.20 says that when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, I want you to see the faithfulness of God. Noah preached for a hundred years and only eight were saved. That included, that was his family essentially. We might think he was a very unsuccessful evangelist, but in God's book he was faithful. You know, it, just be faithful in your ministry. Whether you see thousands being saved or just one being saved, what God looks for is your faithfulness. Sometimes the harvest is ripe, sometimes it's not. But he, God is concerned that you are faithful. And even if you're ministering to people that seem to be hard, just be faithful, like Noah was, and give them that witness. It says that he condemned the world. He removed their excuses. 2 Peter 2.5 says, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. You see, he was a preacher. He witnessed to that world. And Noah, you see, has a good report from God. Because he, believing that the judgment was coming, he was concerned for the salvation of the lost. And he gave his life for the work of God. And he did two things. He witnessed, despite the ridicule, the hostility, he was a preacher, it says. He preached the way of salvation. He drew their attention through the ark and gave them a witness. And he also built an ark, an ark of salvation, a place of safety for the lost to come in and be saved. And then that way he condemned the world. He removed their excuses. And we must witness warning of sin and judgment, but also sharing God's salvation in Jesus Christ. But to be like Noah, we also need to help build the ark. What are you building for the Lord? Are you building a home, a family, a ministry where the presence of God can be? where people can come in and receive the word and be saved. Are you building something for the Lord? And particularly this is talking about building the church, you see. The ark represents Christ, but Christ is also the church. The head and the body have the same name. My head is, if my head is Derek, my body is also Derek. And so the ark is Christ and the church. 
And we together are to be building the church. We're to be building our local church, you see. And we are to be building a strong community of love that people can come into the church and hear the gospel and be saved and to grow spiritually in an atmosphere of love and faith. We are to be joining together to help build that ark of salvation that God can use to save the lost. We're to witness and we're to build the church and, and whatever else God is telling us to build. That's the faith of Noah. We don't just walk with God, but we work for God. We witness for God. We build that ark because there's a dying world out there and judgment is coming down very soon now. We need to build that ark that they can come in and be saved. Hallelujah. From the judgment that is coming. If we believe God's word, then we'll be moved like Noah was moved and build that ark. Hallelujah. And then as God removed Noah to safety, so we will be removed to safety before those judgments come down. The last sign to the world will be the disappearance of the believers in the rapture, just like Noah was removed from the face of the earth. And so, if we believe Jesus is coming soon, we're not going to hide away waiting for it to happen. We're going to make the best use of the remaining time to witness of God's grace in Christ, and, but also his judgment. And we are going to build God's ark, the church, that they can come into that place of safety rather than living in the world system. Noah showed his faith by investing his time and energy into God's work, the salvation of the lost, rather than just trusting in earth, earthly things. And as a result, he pleased God. And it says he became an heir of the righteousness, which was according to faith. In other words, he received a wonderful inheritance, a reward from God, because he lived by faith. He lived out his faith. And so, a man of real faith will be like Noah. He'll witness to a world, even a world that largely rejects his message. And he will be involved in building the church of Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation. Jesus said, I will build my church. A biblical Christian is committed to his local church. And also to his family, because he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. In all your ministering and everything else you do for the Lord, don't forget your family, because your family needs to be a priority. He built the ark for the saving of his household. His family was most important to him. So don't forget that in all else that you do. Be like Noah. Witness and work for God.